Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it has been, which is one of those weeks to make a long week. If it's been a long week for you, we're just going to go, <sighs> because uh, uh, this, this series we're starting today is very much about God coming to those in rest. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be in a series called Sweet Dreams. And it would be really interesting if that really did happen to all of us, if we're like, wow, when we were doing that series at church, I slept like an angel every night. I don't know. We'll see. If it happens, let me know. You know, there are times that I often envy my kids. I envy them because they don't pay bills. That's a big one. Uh, bill paying is, I mean, really, I mean, you think of all the things that a person does to make bills less stressful. They're like going to wars and, uh, you know, working all night, all kinds of things to do to make bills. And the kids just, they don't have to do anything. They don't pay bills. Uh, they can also sleep anywhere. There are times that I will look in the rearview mirror of the car, and I will see their necks craned over to the side, and they'll sleep like that for an hour. If I slept like that, you would all get links to my GoFundMe page to pay for my medical bills <laughs> as I was lifelong to the Mayo Clinic to receive months of rehabilitation and surgery. I once heard someone say, can you imagine how unsettling it would be to be a toddler, though? I mean, you would fall asleep at home on the couch, and you wake up in the middle of a Walmart. That is unsettling. <laughs> and Because they can just, they sleep anywhere. From, uh, for all the upsides of adulthood, and there are some freedom and different things we can do, and uh, deeper relationships, responsibilities, those come with great things. Uh, kids definitely get the deeper, sweet sleep. Kids might be busy, but adults are just simply busier. And I'll tell you, when we sleep, whether it's seeds sprouting in the ground, whether it's the electric coffee maker that starts to make the coffee for us before we wake up, sleep is a unique thing because it's the part of our life when we decide to do less so that other things can do more. We decide that we are going to check out for a time, and decide might be a strong term as we have no choice against it. Uh, sleep is a checking out. Ending the activity for the day, no longer doing something. It's a release of power and a yielding to rest by design from God that there is the cicada rhythm that we go to sleep every single day. And I find this interesting. Sleep, I really do believe, is deeper than physical. I was talking to my sleep doctor, and he said, they, they've done all kinds of studies. What happens with sleep? And when you're sleeping, particularly the deepest level, there's certain cells that begin to repair in your brain. And they can give people injections that will do that, that will bring back the cells faster and more effectively than even sleep will. And still, that test subject will go mentally insane if they don't get sleep. We just need it. So my sleep doctor said, with all the study and everything we've done, the most scientific answer we can give is you have to sleep because you get sleepy. <laughs> sleep seems to be deeper than physical. We all know that there comes a time in our day when we have to relent from everything we're doing and the things we worry about and to relent from life pursuits and to just rest. Some of the best advice I was ever given in my life was no problem solving in bed. When you, when, if you are in bed and you're thinking about how you're going to solve that thing, how you're going to talk to that person, what you, what you need to plan for your life financially, the advice is get out of bed and go sit at the desk and get to work there. Do not associate in any way bedtime with life-solving time. 
And when you are in bed, it is time for sleep. Some of the best advice I ever got, and it made a huge impact to me. Because it is about letting go. And I really think this is why there is such a powerful nature, in a powerful way when God comes to speak to people in their dreams, when they're sleeping. There is no agency on our part. God comes to those in their sleep, when they're doing nothing, when they have actually checked out from doing everything. And in that moment, in their creaturely rest, he speaks to them. These moments, uh, there's so much more than uh, these moments we're going to read about in Scripture for the next few weeks. They are a lot more than, than just the meaning being. Sometimes dreams mean something. It means more than that. They reveal a loving God who acts on behalf of his creatures, who goes first and speaks with them, even when they're not seeking, even when they're not uh, working hard and finding it. It shows the loving nature of God to come and speak to those and reach out towards them. And you can think of it this way. Here's a famous painting, probably the most famous painting in Christendom. Uh, Michelangelo's The Creation of Man or Creation of Adam. Uh, it is at the center point of the Sistine Chapel. And you can thank me for the crop on this one, by the way, uh, because it's a beautiful painting and it is in a church, but I don't want to see that much of Adam on a Sunday morning, so we'll just crop it right there. Uh, Michelangelo, though, he was a Christian, and he put a lot of thought into how he composed this painting. You see, God is reaching. He's leaning forward to Adam. Adam's reposed back, and he lazily lifts his hand. His wrist is not as straight. And it's this image of God doing all of this effort to come to man, and man doing less, and they still meet. And it is a beautiful picture. And as much as that's true, it's not necessarily true of our story today where God reaches and man reaches back. It's a bit more like this. Here's another painting. And this one's of our story today of Jacob's ladder at Bethel. He is asleep. He is not reaching, not paying attention. He's doing nothing to receive this vision. And at this time in his life, he is certainly doing nothing. Arms not reached out, and yet God leans over and speaks to him. Now, I'm going to say, if we're going to understand a little bit of what's going on, we have to know what was happening in the life of this great patriarch at this moment in his life. He has been known as supplanter from birth. The first thing that he did was he was, is that he comes out, uh, he comes out of his mom, hanging on to his brother, trying to uh, sort of visually what would come of him, sort of a prophetic display. Not that, I don't know if a prenatal baby was thinking about birthing rights in ancient Israel's practices, uh, but it was a picture of who he would be. He's this supplanter, one that when he's grabbing the heel of his adversary, trying to overcome something. And it has marked who he's been. His name uh, essentially meant in, a, in the ancient Hebrew, it means kind of cheater, one that uh, throws dust in the eye, reaches for the heel, tries to supplant the adversary. And I will say this of the name Jacob, since I am related to one. <laughs> the name Jacob has been redeemed in the same sense Jacob himself has been redeemed. To where there's a lot more that that name means. And when Jacob is said in Scripture, it does not have the same dishonest connotations that would have had before Jacob's life changes. He goes on, uh, he lives his life, he steals his brother's birthright. Uh, his brother was an outdoorsman. He liked to stay close to the tents. I've heard people say Jacob was an arts and crafts kind of kid. And he, he steals his brother's birthright through 
essentially taking advantage of his brother in his own stupidity, in his own hunger. I will give you this food if you give me the birthright, essentially right to lead the family, to inherit the wealth, to be the patriarch after dad is dead. And then he finishes this with another deception where he dresses up as his brother. His dad is blind. He can't tell who it is. And he blesses Jacob over his older brother. And he finishes the deception. Jacob, at this point in his life, he's shown no clear interest in following God. In fact, the only times you read in Scripture that he really invokes God's name is when he says things like uh, to his dad or to his, uh, about receiving the blessing of being blessed uh, by your God, he would say. And he's at a tough point now. He's fleeing his brother's wrath. His brother Esau, whom he has stolen these things from, is wanting to come after him. And Esau has said to himself, not realizing that um, their mom overheard it, he said, as soon, basically, as soon as dad is dead and the mourning for him is complete, I'm going to kill Jacob. So his mom goes to Jacob, says, you must flee. You must go away. We'll do it under this whole guise that you're going to go find a wife and uh, you're going to go wife hunting. Uh, and he's sent away. He's sent away from a home he has left in turmoil, all but destined to miss his own father's death, given a birthright to a land that now he has to flee from for his own life, and he's pushed into desperation. I think there's times we experience moments like this where we sit in turmoil, and we get, our only comfort is, is the knowledge that we completely made this bed. This is totally our fault, And it's times like this that we feel we deserve the least amount of rest, and yet God gives us rest. For Jacob, he would feel that this is the time he least deserves promises, encouragement, assurance. But one thing that's so clear in Scripture, one of the most important details it keeps saying again and again, God loved Jacob. It's a a thing said of Jacob all the time, God loved Jacob. Jacob. So let's read the dream today. We're going to be uh, in Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and sent out or set out for Haran. He reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun was about to set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The NIV uh, interprets this most accurately. Some Bibles say ladder. We actually say Jacob's ladder all the time. Stairway is a better description uh, because it's the same word for both, and if things are going up and down at the same time, that's one crowded ladder. And so it's generally seen, and that's even in the painting, it shows it as a stairway. We see these busy angels because God is at work. There's a busyness about a dream that's happening alongside and parallel to a man who's asleep. It's a picture of Jacob and all those that come after him, that God is busy on behalf of them doing much bigger things. That God is at work doing great things in Jacob's life. Jacob might be messed up now, but he's seeing something in this vision that he may not understand what he's seeing, But as scripture unfolds, we know what the latter is. In John John 151, Jesus says, you will see angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The, the, The crowning jewel, the greatest thing that will ever come out of Israel 
will ever come out of Jacob's lineage is Christ. And in this moment, the, all of his life, everything that, that will come from this nation, from its people, the vision is being seen now that through his descendants, the Lord will ascend and descend. There will be a bridge between heaven and earth. And the two will be made one as they were before the fall. It is the greatest thing that will ever come out of him. There's times I see my kids, especially days, you know, days you're feeling kind of down. And you look at your kids and you think, that's the best thing that's come out of my life. I often feel that way when I look at them. And for Jacob, Jesus is definitely the best thing that will come out of his life. I put myself in Jacob's shoes, homeless, leaving home in tumult, being alone. All he's known has been deception. I wonder if he wondered what could come from a life like this. We often feel that when we look at our own lives, what could come from this? Stories that start out like mine, we think, never turn out well. But the reality is, when God is involved, great things can come from anywhere. I love the story of when Nathaniel's called to be a, uh, an apostle because they come to him and they say, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, what good thing could possibly come from Nazareth? It is a town of troublemakers. It is a difficult place, a poor place. And what's said of it is, what good thing could come from there? I don't want to ask you, if, if, if we ask people today, what is something that came out of Nazareth? The most common thing people would say is the Messiah. The Nazareth is now tied to a name and a title that is grand above all things, Jesus of Nazareth. We forget that this was a poor place and people once thought what good could come from there and yet our Savior comes from there. The story starts out in a way that things shouldn't have been promising. A boy raised as a poor carpenter's son in a remote area of a poor place of an oppressed people becomes king of kings. One of the most important visions for everyone to remember from Scripture is in Ezekiel, in the Valley of the Dry Bones. It was a time of such depression and anxiety for the people of Israel. They'd lost the land. They were dispelled, just like Moses said they would if they would break the covenant. And they're gone, and God promises them, from a valley of dry bones, I can bring life, and I will. Don't count yourself out as dead or out of place, or that this is not an area of your life God could ever make life come from, because this church, this room right now is full of stories that should not have ended the way they did. If you would have heard the beginning, you would have said, I've heard this a billion times. This is that typical story of the addict that can't get it together, or of the, of the rageaholic that could never be a good parent, or the, the family that could never be one again, the sickness that would never be healed. And yet God brought life to that place. What assurance is the Lord speaking to you today? The things he's been saying, and we often will say to ourselves, ah, I didn't hear that right, that wasn't the Lord. What has the Lord been speaking to you in worship? What has he been encouraging you in? What has he been saying because God does speak and he does encourage because just like Jacob, God just straight up loves you. I always pray at the end of a sermon, I'm gonna, we're going to take a, a prayer break for a moment here. Because I want to pray for us that we would be able to hear the assurance of God, that we would accept what the Lord's been encouraging with us through the worship time, through our time coming here, through the week. 
Lord, I pray that right now you'd be speaking assurance to us. And would you give us faith even to accept the assurance that we've heard? Lord, I pray that we would feel confidence in you, knowing that you're with us, Lord. Help us to see and help us to hear. Help us to be sensitive to what you're saying. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Moving on in this grand dream, uh, we're going to be in... Did I skip something? Did Pastor Sam skip something? He may have. Oh, good. Look at that. I've started numbering my sheets, and it saves me a few times now. There is this stream of assurances that are so powerful. I want you to hear his assurances now that we've prayed to listen and hear our own. It says, uh, there above it stood the Lord, it being the stairway. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I'll tell you, I have a hard time reading that and not adding the name Jacob because I'm so used to saying those three names together. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because this is the time that they meet, the third name. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and, and uh, you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have, uh, I, I will not leave you, excuse me, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The stream of assurances, it's so complete. It's almost like if you've ever read an exhausting legal document, and it's like they, they, all the little clauses as they try to, to corner you in. Um, the reason why signing something saying, yes, I'll make my car payments every month is like a 15,000-word document is because of that. There is this totality of the promises that it, it begins with uh, everything that flows out of who is I am the Lord, that it would spread from the past, the God of your grandfather and your father, moving into the future, into the distant future, I'll bless you and your descendants in verse 13. He gets into location at the end of 13, from the very spot you're lying, Jacob, I give you that land to the four corners of the earth that moves on and it expands again. And from his personal person, from Jacob, to all of mankind, God will bring the blessing. The promises are directed at things that he is feeling very low about in this moment, being both homeless and hopeless. He has no home to return to. He's, he's made too much tumult with his brother. Everything's falling apart. He traded every comfort he knew for a blessing inheritance of his father's house, a house from which he now has to flee. And yet God comes to him asleep and says, I will bring you back to this land. The assurance that he needs, you feel homeless now, but I'm gonna give you a home. And you feel hopeless now, but I'm gonna give you a hope. You feel familylessness now, but your family will fill the earth. You feel dejected, rejected now, but I will bless you and everyone through you. It is a powerful assurance. 
I think a lot of times, just like Jacob, our assurances are very big and global of what God is doing universally through Christ, but they really trickle down and he makes them personal for us. To where, yes, the, the, the thing that's happening through Jacob is the kingdom of heaven in Christ, the great ladder. But it's also going to be very personal what he needs to hear. The assurances of God are personal and directed at you. And as I prayed, I hope that uh, you grow in that. You can accept that, receive it, and have your confidence in it. Let's finish this vision. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. Um, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took a, uh, Jacob took a stone and he placed, uh, that he had placed his, uh, excuse me, not reading well today. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil over it. He called the place Bethel, though the city had been called Luz. Bethel means house of God. We pronounce it as Bethel because we always think of that church down in California. But Bethel means house of God. And in this house of God, he experiences a heart change that begins to make Jacob a dramatically different person. Honestly, like I said, his story starts out in a way that would have ended poorly. If you cut it off there and scripture never told us what happened with him, you never heard another mention again, he would be the schemer of scripture. But his story is made different, and it's made different in the house of God. Never underestimate what happens when you simply go into the house of God. When you give God time, when you give him attention, when you listen, when you're silent. It is not a dead space. It's not simple meditation. Real heart change takes place there. Because there's an incredible love there. To illustrate this, I thought of this. Think of a farmer, a farmer that has two vehicles. Both vehicles get oil changes. They both get tires replaced when they need to be. Uh, both of them, if the radiator blows out, he will repair it. But he does not repair them the same way. One is all function. It's the work truck. And the work truck just needs to get its job done. There's no real love for the work truck, but God still works on it because or not God, excuse me, the farmer still works on it because he gets something out of it. The other is a sports car. First car he bought after he worked all summer. He bought it back in the day. It is now a classic car. He loves this thing. He, he, he also changes the oil. He also gives it a new battery, changes tires. He waxes this thing and he takes care of it. He does it for very different reasons, not because it needs to haul trailers and goats and hay, but because he just loves it. I really believe a mistake that we can fall into in our, in our faith is that we think God loves us because of utility he derives from us. That God loves me now because he made me clean and he gets something for his investment. In the picture of a man sleeping who's been unfaithful and yet God comes and speaks nothing but encouragement, nothing but strengthening to him because he loves him is a wonderful picture of how God's always loved his people. That he, that to you, uh, to him, you are that sports car. You are not the farm truck. God does not love you and care for you just because he's trying to build you up to go out and do something. Every part of your life from the doing to the building up, it is because he loves you. Because he cares for you. 
So we need to give God the space. To give God the space to express love and to come to us. And to have a confidence and a faith that it could be a lot like having God suddenly appear upon you while you're sleeping. To believe that whether we're reaching like Adam or reclining like Jacob sleeping, that God does want to speak to us. Beyond what he can get from us, he's received very little back from Jacob, yet he has simply loved Jacob. And it's always important to remember what the patriarchs, they're not just patriarchs of the family, they're patriarchs of the faith. That as we see what God is doing in them, it is archetypes of how he does things with all of us. Images for us to remember. It is just simply that God loves you. This is a pure and simple gospel. Why the faith of children can get it so easily is because it's honestly just that simple. God loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you because he made you clean. He made you clean because he loves you. That's what John 3.16 says. It doesn't say God so loved the world after he gave his son and they were clean enough for him. It said God loved the world so he gave his son. God loved us. And that is why we are clean. God loved Jacob, and that is why he gave him this vision, this encouragement. At this critical moment in his life, when he is at his lowest, God went to him then to encourage him in his salvation, to encourage him that he would be rescued from the disaster that he made, and he was encouraged. I really do believe if we come to a posture where we can accept and have a confidence, a faith that God really is caring for us, that he does come to us, that he does want to speak to us because he loves us, we go deeper in our relationship with God and all he has for us. And it'll be as easy as going to sleep and letting God come to us. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for an incredible confidence in you that whether in reaching or reclining, you love and care for us. You wish to speak with us and you wish to encourage us. God, I pray that encouragement would come to us. Lord, I pray for those that are uh, financially pursued and crushed. Lord, would you send encouragement? Lord, for all the ways we can count ourselves and look at our life and say no good can come of this, would we remember that even the son came from a no good place, that Jacob came from a no good place. You don't need good to start with to make great. So Lord, breathe over the valley of dry bones in our lives that from the most broken areas, we would have a testimony rise up that we would just have to tell people, hear what God did in my valley of dry bones. Let us grow in our confidence and acceptance of your love. Rest at ease. Speak to us when we least expect it this week. And keep our spiritual eyes and ears open to receive it and to say, yes, I know that was the Lord. We give you this time, Lord. We thank you for how much you care for us. We ease into it. We thank you, Lord. Amen.